this is one of my like top 10 or 15 favorite Kate Bush songs ever, even in a completely stripped down form. So I'm really happy to talk about it, especially because I actually didn't really pay that much attention to the lyrics Mm-mm. before doing making notes for this episode. I just always have been really caught up in her vocal delivery and the, and the music as opposed to the lyrics. But the lyrics are actually interesting, too. That so they are. I'm excited. Yeah, so I'm excited. This is just such a wonderful... I love this song so much, and I wish more fans knew about it. Welcome to Strange Phenomena, the music of Kate Bush. I am Cecily Link, and this week we're going to be talking about the first B-side for the B-side portion of the third season. This is this week's song, The Empty Bullring, which was a B-side to Breathing. So here we're going to be talking about The Empty Bullring. me to talk about the song this week go on and introduce yourself hi i'm zoe i've been on a lot of other episodes and Mm -hmm. this is one of my like top 10 or 15 favorite kate bush songs ever even in a completely stripped down form so i'm really happy to talk about it especially because i actually didn't really pay that much attention to the lyrics Mm -mm. before doing making notes for this episode i just always have been really caught up in her vocal delivery and the music as opposed to the lyrics but the lyrics are actually interesting too that so they are i'm excited yeah so i'm excited this is just such a wonderful i love this song so much and i wish more fans knew about it it's one of those cases where you just go on youtube and look up the empty bullring because you can't really find it anywhere else nope but it's I mean, it's, to me, it's one of her, I think it's one of her best work. It's really, it's really musically sophisticated. So I love it. Indeed. So I guess we'll get right into it here. So um, this was a B-side to the single Breathing. And that single was released on April 14th, 1980. Because Remember Breathing was the lead single from Never Forever. So this was, notably for me, this is, I think, one of the first non-album tracks to be to be on the B-side of a single, because everything else up until yeah. then was a song from that album. But this is the first, like, no, you have to get this particular R45 in order to get this song. It's also a really interesting choice to pair with Breathing, because they're very, they're kind of opposite. So breathing mm-hmm. is all about the production, and this is really stripped down. So it's really showing you the two sides of her versatility. And to me, kind of having these paired together is 
kind of exemplifies why this period of her career is kind of my favorite. Her mastery of production and vocals that you see on one half on Breathing, and then her mastery of vocals and storytelling and musicianship on this other half with Empty Bullring. It's just like A plus both contents. It doesn't mm-hmm. get better. But it's, but it is interesting to have with something as heavy as and production E as Breathing to then have this basically like acoustic song. Yeah, and also that it's short. It's less than two and a half minutes. But it's got a story. It's got a characters. It's got a a plot. It's got all of that, and in just less than two and a half minutes. It's it's fascinating. And like all the key changes in the world. Oh, I know. I just I especially love the opening riff of this song. Like it's yeah. just yeah. like sets this tone for like something that's a little bit off kilter. Oh, it's just awesome. Oh, my goodness. Everything about it, yeah. Indeed. And like you, I didn't really listen to the lyrics very much until I started digging in for this episode. I was just listening to her vocal delivery and the piano since, you know, I love playing mm-hmm. piano. I play piano, so I'm listening for the piano, and I like hearing, like, the da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da kind of riff behind her. I have always liked this song. There's just, I, it's the off-kilter piano. It's if the, her vocal delivery, like the way she drags out the first word of the song, disappear. Yeah. <laughs> and like every word thereafter, basically. Mm. <laughs> disappear. Pretty much. Just like it. Yeah, this is, I mean, I've talked before in other episodes about how much I love her technique of dragging out words until they're almost unintelligible and she does that mm-hmm. a lot here so I just love it um and there's so many places where she'll just completely change an octave in the middle of a word oh, so yeah. I just always was so absorbed in her vocal delivery and the musical sophistication behind that to really sing with the lyrics so like for example on the word toro I didn't even know she was saying that because she goes to a completely different octave in the middle mm-hmm. of the word so, yeah, so I so sometimes because she does that, you don't really know. It's kind of like, I mean, you'll know this better than me, Cecily, because you, you're fluent in French. But um, I when I was taking French classes, my teacher said, never listen to Edith Piaf to try to learn French. <laughs> because she puts, like, stress it on really random syllables. And mm. so it's actually not that, it's not like how you speak French. It's not that intelligible. I feel that way kind of like, about Kate Bush like if someone I would be like don't learn how to speak English listen to Kate Bush because they're going to stressing really random syllables all the time <laughs> yeah that is true especially with Edith Piaf because in French every the last syllable of every polysyllabic word is what's emphasized that's where stress mm-hmm. always falls in French and in English it's so arbitrary as to where that stress mm-hmm. falls and you can generally tell somebody who's a native French speaker when they're trying to speak English I can tell that they're native French because they are going to talk like this yeah like they're if you, you're kind of like okay there's a little something off and then if you but if you realize that they're putting their the stress on the other syllable then like yeah that is true with Edith Piaf I'm not terribly familiar with a ton of her stuff I mean, I've seen the movie about her, but I, I can see like where your French teacher would say, "Don't listen to Edith Piaf to learn yeah. French." Yeah, <laughs> I remember like we in pla- like we played some of her songs, like had to read along the lyrics, and it's just like you wouldn't even know she was saying those words because, like Kate Bush will say, like 
through, she'll say, like, for example, which is, oh, Lord, I didn't even know she was saying that. Me neither. It's the same as ETF. Like, she'll be saying a word that doesn't even sound like the French word. She also... Because she just completely uses, she's using her voice as an instrument, too. My first thought was that, like, this was about somebody who's watching a loved one obsessing over something that they can't have. Her boyfriend was gored by a bull and that's just warped his mind so much that he goes to this bull ring to try and fight mm-hmm. the the bull that isn't there and she's trying she tries to reach him and tell him no you need to stop obsessing over this but he's not listening cuz he's all oh well I'm a man I know everything but then also mm-hmm. like I was thinking about maybe it's a condemnation of toxic masculinity in a way that she's trying to get ding, him ding. like she's trying to to kind of get him away from the violent life i suppose and and show him that I hey, totally agree like no you need to be here with me where everything is nice and calm up in my tower or if like literally or figuratively so that was my first interpretation was like literally somebody watching somebody obsessing over something they can't have but now i'm starting to think it's more against um violence and war it's funny because actually reading the lyrics, I was reminded so much of Army Dreamers and kind of then oh, got this broader view into what I'm going to call the small, refined genre of women dealing with men, male bravado, and having to watch them do shit and things that they probably shouldn't be doing and put up with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. and like so okay, so like Army Dreamer is about a mother of a soldier and you know, he died before he's twenties, what a waste. Um, so he basically is compelled to go into war and lose his life and waste it, and she's only watching from afar. And in this song, it's also from the point of view of a woman watching her male lover participate in violence from afar so that he can basically boost up his own self esteem. Mm-hmm. And that's just something you don't really hear often in music. Army Dreamers is unique because it's about war from the perspective of a soldier's mother. But I think you can extend that and say she actually has quite a few songs that are about women watching men be stupid and telling them not to be stupid, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have Army Dreamers, you have this. Of course, I'm going to bring it up. Night of the Swallow <laughs> is about... Um, so, yeah, our running gag is I've mentioned Night in the Fall every mm-hmm. episode. I realized I didn't bring it up when we recorded for um, Warm and Soothing. And then I was like, oh, I didn't bring it up. But anyways, but Night of the Swallow is about a woman telling her lover not to, who's a smuggler, not to go to Malta and not to fly mm-hmm. to Malta. That's just really fascinating. Like, there's not that many. Like, I think it's just a big trope since the beginning of humankind that women have to put up with men doing bs for glory mm-hmm. but it's always from the man's perspective it's not often from the woman's perspective and here's three songs of hers that are completely about that and that's really fascinating like i actually so i've spent the summer rereading the song um the series of song of ice and fire which is what mm-hmm. game of thrones is based on and that series is so much especially my favorite my favorite books in the series are book two and four but book two especially is kind of about the futility of war and particularly the character of Catelyn Stark mm-hmm. um, in her point of view chapters. It's about kind of watching 
her son and other men make bad decisions mm-hmm. <laughs> and being helpless to stop that because she's a woman and people don't listen to her. That's interesting because I think that's something that's been true from the beginning of time, but it's not really something you hear about in media or pop culture. Mm-hmm. It's usually about the war itself and not its impact on the women who are kind of on the sidelines. And so I think with Kat, that's part of why I really, I, I really love Catlin's point of view chapters. And I also really like about this song and night of the swallow and army beamers. And yes, it's kind of like mini genre of women being like, stop it. <laughs> yeah. Dude, stop being dumb. Come on. <laughs> yeah, because they're basically like this guy is just like fighting in the empty bullring. So like the ultimate song that is the woman having to deal with men and their bravado is I so I hate to bring up Joanna Newsom in talking about hate books because I think Oftentimes, music critics compare them. It's really lazy. It's like, oh, they're both weird, so we're going to compare them. Mm. But she has a song. One of my favorite songs is called Go Long, and it is a brutal, like, it's one of the most feminist songs ever. It's a brutal evisceration of masculine bravado. It's, oh, it's so good. It's just like, and she sings, it's like, it's, I mean, to compare them, unfortunately, like with Kate Bush, how she'll sing things that are actually really dark, but because she kind of gets away with it because she sounds pretty. With Joanna Newsom, she'll sing things that are really dark or really, like this song, it really is dragging the male figure, but you don't really realize it because her voice sounds so otherworldly. But um, Go Long is a song about being a woman watching men having to prove their worth. So the lyrics, some of the lyrics are, with the loneliness loneliness of you mighty men with your jaws and fists and guitars and pens hmm. i've never been to the fire pits with you mighty men and then comes this crescendo goes you burn in the mekong so like moving to vietnam war to prove your worth go long go long right over the edge of the earth so it's kind of talking about these men mm-hmm. they're just in their desire to prove themselves will just fall off the face of the earth like an army dreamers and you keep palming along the wall moving at a blind crawl but always rambling mm-hmm. so all this there's like this sub genre of muse songs that women who have to watch men go to extremes to prove their wor- worth but ultimately it's futile and the women are just waiting for them or yeah. losing them and women are just like Guys, you don't have to prove your prove anything. I already love you the way you are, or something like that. Society would be very different if <laughs> if, if, it, oh, if yeah. men just had to prove. It. I mean, why do we have? I mean, women would be in war, obviously too. Women can be just as vicious as men, but um, yep. But but yeah, I mean, I think this song. I just was thinking of "Go Long" so much. Maybe I don't know if you can play a clip from it of like the burn in the Mekong part. Mm-hmm. And she also, it's really clever. She has a line where she's like, "With your guitar, like you mighty men with your pens and your guitars." Mm-hmm. And she specifically, as a woman who plays harp, and like Kate Bush was the one who plays piano. These are very feminized instruments. It's this whole thing of like men who play guitar are so much more are so superior. Men who write are like so cool but a woman who sits by who does something in a more feminine way that's not considered adventurous enough whereas men have to go to the mekong to prove their worth or go to the empty bullring yeah or fly to malta
Kate has only Kate has talked just a little bit about this song um, in the Kate Bush Club newsletter from 1983. She says. This is a song that I first had ideas for quite a few years ago. It's really about someone who's in love with someone who's obsessed with something that's pretty futile. They can't get the person to accept the fact that it is a futile obsession, to put it in a sort of story form. He became a matador and got gored so badly that he couldn't carry on. But at night he climbs out of the window and runs off to a bullring where there's no one there and he fights a bull that doesn't exist. Tamlin is a girl in a traditional fairy story who is locked up in an ivory tower. And we'll get to Tamlin when we start talking about the lyrics. But that's what Kate is saying. What I'm about wondering is how I'm wondering how is he alive? Hmm? <laughs> how is he alive? He got bored so badly, but he's just like alive and can run off. Okay. I mean, maybe he he probably got gored, but it was enough that he got to he he hung on by a thread and he's now alive (laughs) (laughs) so i mean that's what she's that's what kate said about this song i'm i'm more of like the bravado sort of thing but you know that's just me that's my interpretation yeah and that's the beauty of art we get to have our own degree i think they're and i think they're both correct i mean what she's saying is what the song's about but i think if you take it a step further it becomes about this like analysis of bravado and having to look on be passive a passive onlooker but i mean she's someone who doesn't really analyze her own work in a feminist way so she would i don't think she would see it that way so let's see so we're kind of touching a little bit on kind of our personal thoughts on the song like me talking about how i've always liked this song i like how short and concise it is but it's got a a complex story i love her chord progressions they continue to fascinate me and you can really hear it here when it's just so bare bones this feels like because it's just a piano and vocal like it's just a better recorded version of something she might have written when she was a teenager or something like that yeah do you know when it was recorded no, I don't. I haven't been able to find anything about when this was recorded. I'm I'm going to yeah. assume that it was maybe around the same time as Warm and Soothing because her Yeah. Their her voice is similar on those yeah. tracks in a sense that mm-hmm. both songs have like huge leaps in melody and they're both very short and complex and concise. You know, I was curious because, as you said, it sounds like she said, I had the idea for this a few years ago. And it does sound a lot like one of her demos, just with better quality. Mm-hmm. So I wonder if this is another one where, like, with Warm and Soothing, they said, oh, we're going to test out Abbey Road and see how this works. Yeah. But I'm glad she didn't just throw it away. I'm glad she uses it as a B-side. Seriously. Because, and I wonder, I, I always think about, I love it so much as it is, what would it have been like if it were fully produced, you know? Especially mm. since Never Forever is an album that's so much about the production and exotic instruments. Maybe I wouldn't like it as much. I don't know. We'll never know. I think that it w- if, if this had been more fleshed out, it would have been too busy. Because on its own... It's mm-hmm. got a a cool moving piano part. She's not just playing block chords. Like she's playing little melodies and riffs behind her. And I think having mm-hmm. drums and bass and anything else behind her would just be too much. Well, I wonder if it would have been something more like the Infant Kiss, where it it is mainly mm. piano based. But there's other elements there. But yeah, I it's a double edged sword of wanting to know what it would have been like. 
but also loving the original so much that mm-hmm. maybe it wouldn't have been as good anyway. Yep. I think it's pretty much perfect in its current form. And really, there aren't very many bare bones songs like this that she has officially released either. I mean, there's this one. Right. There's Warm and Soothing. And then in the Hounds of Love season, I'll get to talk about Under the Ivy, which is just which does have a background vocal in it for the for me. Yeah, I was gonna say even that has the <laughs> yeah, but it but otherwise it's it's just voice and piano, and yeah, there just aren't very many just Kate and the piano songs, and this yeah. is really the first. Yeah, the Ivy feels more produced in general mm. somehow. It seems it feels more like okay, money was put into this. Than the empty ballroom does. Well, it was recorded in an afternoon at her new recording studio. Right. So, yeah. No, I saw you point out you love like the opening of the song. It's the way she stresses mm-hmm. out the word disappear. It's so mm-hmm. great. It's just, it's just a classic Kateism, you know. It's For I real. love that too. I just it's one of those. She I love when she opens a song in a way like with Wuthering Heights or like with Hammer Horror on this really startling note, and you're just like, oh, what was that? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it goes, it starts and it's, I'm actually looking at the sheet music for it um, from Kate Bush Complete. It's technically in the key C because there's no flats or sharps, but then, but it's, the riff starts in E major, which has nothing to do with C major at all. Then it goes to C, then G, then F and C, B flat and A for the trying to keep them at home. And I noticed on that, like me, me being you music nerd, that when she gets to that line, it sounds a little bit off when it gets to at home. And that's because you got an A major next yeah, to B flat. And you don't usually, you don't have A flat, you don't have the A chord in B flat major. They just have yeah, completely like, different. Uh, Like you listening to this song, you kind of never know what note she's going to hit next. It's, so I love the unexpectedness. I mean, there, there's no like repeating the same four chords in this song for sure. No, no, not at all. She has this thing that I call her weepy voice. Mm-hmm. The song, probably her whole body of work, which is the most I'd say is all the love on the dreaming. But she has this thing where she kind of sounds like she's crying while she's singing. But I love like she does it on the line you pointed out. So again, it sounds like you can almost see her pouting as she sings it. And then also on, um, where else does she do it? I have it written down. But yeah, like on the last draw, on the last draw, mm-hmm. oh Lord. Well, I also didn't even know she was saying last draw, oh Lord. I'm sorry, Me I thought neither. she was stretching out the word straw. But she does this thing where she is like emoting while singing and it sounds like she's crying, like she's in the tower watching the dude be stupid and crying over it. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's just her yet again, really imbuing every element of her performance with um, deep emotion. which is what she does so well. 
and will continue to do, like I said, and really push herself, for example, on the Dreaming with Houdini, where she literally drank like a quart of milk in mm-hmm. order to get her voice congested enough to get the emotion she wanted. She's always about capturing the emotion behind the words, not just singing the words. Having this and breathing paired together, like, show how these are kind of her best, just to me, why this is my favorite vocal moment of her career because breathing she's doing doing very different things vocally like this is again even though she's doing really wacky things with her voice on this song it is Mm -hmm. very this gets said about her a lot so it's annoying it's kind of male music kind of thing to say but she does sound very angelic like i feel like i'm kind of listening to a little angel choir or something but like a wacky angel choir Mm -hmm. and um and then on breathing she's really pushing through and getting really raw so it just shows her versatility that you still you can have like have one disc that has these two songs on it that are doing completely different things vocally, but are still both astounding vocally. Mm-hmm. Now this is honestly my favorite era vocally for her as well because she's she's trying she's starting to do some new things with her voice, but it still sounds really pure and angelic, and I like that mm-hmm. in her voice. I never. Except for some of the parts of Don't Push Your Foot on the Heartbreak, I never think that she's ever screeching. I don't ever think that. I like the high notes, and I like that she explores more of her voice up there on this song. And honestly, most of the songs of this period, like a lot of female Mm -hmm. singers don't push themselves to go high or anything like it has to be. Or men. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That too. For men. Definitely not men. No, they definitely not. And. Like a lot of singers don't push themselves vocally in any way because, oh, we need to make sure that like little Susie Q can sing along with us on the radio. So who is Tamlin? Oh, yes. So so Tamlin, very interesting. Um, Tamlin, first of all, in the the Kate Bush Complete, it says on that line, I'm looking at the sheet music, it says, out into Rome in the early hours, leaving me here like 10 men in her tower. I'm like, oh, really? It says 10 men. I'm like, that's no. weird because I mean looking yeah she's clearly saying well I mean to be honest I didn't know what she was saying for a while I said she said something but um it's clear she's she's saying a name Tamlane which online it's spelled T-A-M-L-A-I-N-E mm-hmm. but for the longest time and she said that she found the name it was like from a fairy tale or folk song so I just assumed it was like an ye old Irish folk tale woman character who was stuck in tower like who was stuck character was stuck in a tower but you found out some interesting intel yeah so tamlin which has many different spellings because uh old folk song always has that is a character in a legendary ballad originating from the scottish borders it is also associated with a reel of the same name also known as the glasgow reel the story revolves around the rescue of tamlin by his true love from the queen of the fairies the motif of capturing a person by holding them through all forms of transformation is found throughout europe in folk tales tamlin is a dude (laughs) Not a girl. A dude, according to Wikipedia, who like takes women's virginity or something. What was that? Like, 
Um, most variants. Weird thing. Uh, most, Let me look it up again. Most variants begin with the warning that Tamlin collects either a possession or the virginity of any maiden who passes through the forest of Carter Hall. And I'll probably have to go read Yeah, Tamlin's this. a dog. Um, when a young woman, usually called Janet or Margaret, goes to and plucks a double rose, Tam appears and asks her why she has come without his leave and taken what is his. She states that That's she owns the place because her father has given it to her. In most variants, Janet then goes home and discovers that she's pregnant. Some variants pick up the story at this point. When asked about her condition, she declares that her baby's father is an elf whom she will not forsake. In some versions, she is informed of an herb that will induce abortion. In all the variants, when she returns and picks a plant, either the same roses as on her earlier visit or the herb, Tam reappears and challenges her action. She asks him whether he was ever human, either after that reappearance or in some versions, immediately after their first meeting resulted in her pregnancy. He reveals that he was a mortal man who, falling from his horse, was caught and captured by the Queen of the Fairies. Every seven years, the fairies give one of their people as a tithe to hell, and Tam fears he will become the tithe of that night, which is Halloween. He is to ride as part of a company of elven knights. Janet will recognize him by the white horse upon which he rides and by other signs. He instructs her to rescue him by pulling him down from the white horse. So Janet catches him this time and holding him tightly. More female emotional labor. Yep. He warns her that the fairies will attempt to make her drop by drop him by turning him into all manners of beasts, but that he will do her no harm. When he is finally turned into a burning coal, she is to throw him into a well, whereupon he will reappear as a naked man and she must hide him. Janet does as she is asked and wins her knight. The queen of the fairies is angry but acknowledges defeat. And in different variations, Tamlin is reported as the grandson of the Laird of Roxburgh and all sorts of other other places his name also varies between versions as tom lynn yeah young tambling tamaline or tamlane the long story short kate was pulling shit out of her ass (laughs) (laughs) i'm i i the impression what are you gonna say Oh, just that I think that what might have happened, and we were talking about this before we recorded, that probably she heard, she remembered the name, thought of like a fairy tale princess Rapunzel yeah. kind of lady and put her, him, her, right. someone in a tower. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's just, I agree. I think she probably like grew up with these stories, heard them, and then just like got confused and thought Tam- oh, I would guess Tamlin's the one in the tower mm-hmm. but Tamlin is not the one in the tower and it's not even a woman but it sounds nice so I'm okay with it it is a good story like I hadn't heard about this until 10 minutes before we started recording yeah, it and sounds like it could be a good Kate Bush song honestly. it really could yeah really that's what when you were saying it I was just like this would be really good material for one of her songs but it's not but just interesting that yeah she it sounds like the kind of thing like you know, I'll think about, you know, we all have those moments where we're talking about some like a story that we learned as a kid and then someone else like, wait, no, that, that wasn't that person, you know? So you just mix mm-hmm. up names and stuff. I think this was one of those scenarios, but it doesn't really hurt the song. I don't think. I don't think so. Because you still paint a very, very vivid picture of a woman waiting in a tower, even if the woman is actually a virginity stealing man. Yeah. And I mean, like you were saying, as as I was uh, kind of reading the synopsis of the story, that as we were talking about the song, of, like emotion, women having to bear the emotional burden of watching their, uh, watching the guys just like make fools of themselves. That's how 
this scene, how that's how the the ballad of Tamlin seems to go too. That she has to, she that Janet or Margaret, depending on whatever version you read, that she's supposed to go in there and, and catch him and and help him and mm-hmm. get him away from where he's going to be transformed into things by the fairies. This is an interesting reversal of the damsel in distress trope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Too bad she didn't write a song about that. That's a good song. That would be that would be a really cool song. Or hey, knows, or maybe I mean who knows how many how many other songs Kate has written that haven't been released. Yeah, maybe she called maybe she wrote one out to Hamlin but called it Janet or something. Could be. Not the name wrong. Yeah. But I would be interested in hearing that. Um good good stuff. All that folktale stuff is good stuff. But yeah, Indeed. clearly, I mean, she grew up on this because of the, the song Picking Inside and that being based in folktale. Um, but it's interesting that she specifically said, oh, yeah, I got the name from this fairy tale story, but it's actually not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> more like Sounds a... like you do you, Kate. More like a ballad, but, well, she grew up on those kind of stories, so doesn't surprise me right. that it would be kind of stick in her head. Right, you hear enough stories growing up that they all kind of get mixed. Like, I think of, I'm thinking of, like, my grandma used to tell me so many stories growing up, and I kind of confuse them all. They all get a little mixed up in my head. Well, I think we've pretty much covered everything on this song. I mean, it's like yeah, less than two it's and a half really minutes. Yeah, it's really great. You're awesome listen to it. Since this is the first B-side episode where it was officially released, but it is not on Spotify or iTunes or any other place other than YouTube, I'm going to be doing a thing where I actually play the whole thing in full so that you all can hear what this sounds like. <laughs> yes, and you'll be up for a treat because the song is Indeed. just really just as I said a million times, just so complex musically. Mm-hmm. Like I just know, I know a lot of people I know who are musicians always say like, yeah, I can't cover Kate Bush songs because she like the way she composes things is so unique and singular mm-hmm. and specific to what she's able to do with her voice that most people can't do with their voices. Like I don't think most people could do that in the meaning, you know, and that's the whole mm-hmm. poro. Like the, it, again, I didn't even know what she was saying. I was like, that's her saying. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you just kind of get you just get lost in her pronunciation and her voice. Just like, oh, hey, we like your voice. Hey. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I think, yeah, I'm glad that I, that we did get the chance to talk more about the lyrics because they do bring mm-hmm. up a lot of interesting themes, especially considering I wonder. That's why I was curious to know when she wrote this. I'm like, I wonder if she wrote this before Army Dreamers because they do share some thematic elements i'd never thought about that before yeah definitely it's i, I do agree that this is very much like army dreamers and night of the swallow mm-hmm. but that was written later although it was one of the first two recorded for the dreaming which i wouldn't be surprised if she was already starting to work on ideas for as soon as this album was released yeah, and what especially because yeah, because because that and Sad and Laugh were recorded in 1981, and what's interesting is that she goes a step further in Night in the Swallow of making it actually a dialogue between two characters instead of just from the woman's point of view. But um, but it is really cool, I think, from a feminist perspective to have the this any any form of art, whether that's as the cat 
Catwin chapters in the song by Fire or this song or Go Long by Joanna Newsom. That's about what it means to be in the role of this woman as spectator because it's just not something that gets light shed upon it at all, really. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah, she said, I like the lines where she's saying, it's all you live for, but you've lost it all. You know, like, mm-hmm. it's like that just reminds me so much of Army Dreamers. Like, he literally loses his life. What a waste. Yeah, and glory and gore, the throw of the rose, it's all you lived for. Mm-hmm. Like, you're doing it for, for people to go, yeah, man, you're awesome, yeah! Yeah, for heroism. Mm-hmm. Without considering the consequence. Glad more people will know about this song now, because it's such a good one. Seriously. Um, wonderful, wonderful little song that I'm glad she ended up releasing, even though it's very different from the A-side. And everything I else. I wonder how many others like this and more soothing she had. Mm-hmm. I I wouldn't be surprised if there were even more. I mean, they've yeah. Anything else she wrote like this was probably like hidden somewhere with the Never Forever title track. Mm. And before yeah. the dawn, and before the dawn DVD, they're <laughs> mm. <laughs> all in his desk. <laughs> burn, upon, burn upon my desk. Yeah, she's like, yeah, I'm putting it in the put. I put it all in this uh, locked like behind behind a really thick safe kind of closet birdie birdie we are counting on you to be like the friend of emily dickinson who did not burn herself upon her demand birdie come on seriously (laughs) don't do it i also need to know where the where like certain outfits and certain music videos were i need to know Mm. Me too, so I can try and like make make patterns of them. That would be awesome. <laughs> make sewing patterns. Most definitely. Most definitely. Well, thank you so much for being on the show this week, talking about the empty boring. Yay! You know, I'm happy to that I'm happy to bring this song more people's attention because it's, it's one of my favorites and such a gem, and really shows her talent as a musician in a very complex, simple but actually really seemingly simple, but actually really complex way. Indeed. And now for everybody's listening pleasure, here is the whole of the empty bull ring right here on this podcast, because you can't find it anywhere to purchase. Obviously we would like everybody to make sure you buy Kate's albums or listen to them on Spotify, do whatever you can to support the artists. But in cases of these, like the, this album or sorry, this song hasn't been re-released in any capacity. So here it is. The Empty Bullring, all in full. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And next week, we're going to get into another B-side. We're going to get into Rantan Waltz. So here's The Empty Bullring.
If you know something about this week's song that we didn't get to in our discussion, or if you have a favorite Kate Bush song or several songs that you want to talk about for a future episode, here's where you can find me. You can either email me kbcast at linkmedia.com. That's link with an E. You can contact me through my website, kbcast.linkmedia.com. You can also find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Kate Bush podcast and on Twitter at strange Kate cast. Join us for another B-side next week. Next week, I will be talking with Keith Bloomfield DeWeese from Boston, all about one of his favorite Kate Bush songs, Rantan Waltz. See everybody then. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.